All right, everyone, welcome. We will pick up on our series, Mind Games, How to Think For and About Yourself, and actually finish that in this session. But uh, before we get into this final session, I uh, have uh, a few announcements. One is, uh, this coming week, uh, weekend, we have a guest speaker coming, Les Olala, uh, is the founder and director of Building Great Leaders and past president of Northland International University. And he's going to be with us next weekend. Uh, Friday in the morning, uh, I'm having a pastor's meeting here, and we've got about a dozen or so pastors coming uh, to hear less in the morning that day. And then uh, Saturday morning, guys, we're going to have a breakfast in this room, and there'll be two sessions that Les will be leading uh, for our men. So, guys, I encourage you at 9 o'clock, this Saturday to be here for the breakfast. We've had a couple of those in the past. And even though our guys make the breakfast, they make a seriously good breakfast. And it's it's a full breakfast. It's got all the stuff, you know, all the uh, fixings. Uh, so come ready to eat. But uh, please come and you'll be blessed by uh, Les's ministry to you. He's going to do two sessions, one called uh, A Biblical Theology of Manhood. And then the next session is going to take what he laid out in the first and give practical tools to help us in all of our relationships, relationships at home and elsewhere. So it'll be very, very practical, and I know you'll benefit by it. So guys, 9 o'clock this coming Saturday. And then next Sunday, he's going to be here for both of our services. He'll be speaking in the worship hour and also in this hour uh, as well. So that's this uh, this coming weekend. And then uh, into October, we've got a few things going on. October the 17th is our uh, hayride and bonfire. That's going to be at the home of... Uh, Jeff and Edie Mize in New Boston. We have maps to their place at the Information Center, but I think there's a map on the flyer that was in your program as well. That starts at 5 o'clock. We've said that it goes, uh, uh, yeah, 5 o'clock it starts. Is that right? Does it say 5 o'clock? For the hayride? Okay, 5 o'clock it starts. Okay, good. The reason I'm getting that mixed up is the following week we have the Enchanted Trails of Trick or Treat. For our kids here, that's on Saturday the 24th, and that's 5 to 7. So the Hayride's 5 to 9, and the Enchanted Trails is 5 to five to 7. That'll be here. So those are there are flyers inserted for that. And the marriage series that uh, we've been advertising, Marriage Matters, that will begin two weeks from today. We've got invitations, printed invitations at the Information Center. Grab a handful of those and invite some folks for that to outreach series. On that day, two weeks from today, if you're not interested in the marriage series, we'll have another class going on at the same time. Dr. Combs is going to be leading How We Got Our Bible, and you'll benefit greatly from that class. So either one of those you want to take, the marriage class or the How We Got Our Bible. Now, with regard to the hayride, uh, we need some, uh, every year we do this, we have a sheet that has categories of food and beverages. And the categories include, I think, donuts and cider and sloppy joes and uh, buns and all of that stuff. So we have these sheets categorized that way, and we're asking you to affix your name to one or more of those spots. Now, if I just announced that and said the sheets at the information center, then when it comes time for the actual hayride in a couple of weeks, we would have no food because no one will go to the information center or barely anyone. So we have found that the most effective way to do these things is to pass the sheet around and get it under your nose while you're sitting here and while you're thinking about it. So we are going to circulate four clipboards with the four sections. So John has one back there, and Andre has one back here, and Tim's got one, and Bob's got one. So each section is going to have one, and then we'll just combine those to make sure we have enough. And if 
if you can bring something, please do. If the only thing you can bring is buns, then, then bring that. But I will make this plea, that a lot of times when we pass these around, we get a lot of buns, but nothing to put on them, okay? So if you could team up with somebody or something for some sloppy joes, that would be, that would be a great thing as well, okay? All right, so those are going to start from the back. And then just uh, pass those to the person next to you. And then if you're on an end, then pass it in front of you. And if you'll do that, just in, within your section, pass it to the person next to you. If you're on an end, pass it to the row in front of you. Then this section will make it up to Paul. And this section will make it up to Carolyn. And over here for David and Lola. And over here for uh, uh, oh, Kim, and, Kim and Glenn. So this one started at the front. Some start the back. You know what? There's one in every crowd, Bob. He started it backwards. And, and this guy's a, this guy's a high school school teacher. What would you do with one of your students if they did that, Bob? You'd expel them, wouldn't you? <laughs> Bob, you're expelled. See ya. All right. <laughs> so the, the same still applies though. Pass it behind you. And then at the back, Joe, you're in charge. Joe and Julie, that clipboard should make it back to you guys. Okay. All right. Today's the final session of mind games. How to think for and about yourself. And in these last several weeks, we've been looking at an aspect of biblical thinking that falls under the category of decision-making and the will of God. That if we're going to train our minds to think in a way that thinks God's thoughts after him, then that means we're going to have to develop a discipline called discernment. Discernment. And several weeks ago, we defined discernment as the God-given ability to distinguish God's thoughts and ways from all others. The divine-given ability to distinguish God's thoughts and God's ways from all other thoughts and ways. So that means I have to look at a situation, look at a proposition, and I have to discern, I have to distinguish. Is this consistent with the thoughts and the methods, the ways of, of God? And that in turn then affects how I make decisions, choices for my life. And that's why these last few weeks we've been looking at decision-making as it relates to the will of God. I'm making choices, you're making choices, making decisions, but we want those to align with the purposes and design of, of God. Now, in order for that to happen, I need to know what the purpose and design of God is. And that's what this final session is about. This final session is about reminding us that God has us here. That God has us on earth for a purpose. And I need to know and you need to know that purpose. And then we need to fit all of our decisions around it. So that I'm making my decisions to advance the purpose for which God has placed me here. And if I don't do that, then I can find myself making decisions that that retard the advance of that mission. That are actually hindrances. I can find myself doing things that are not sinful, they're just not helpful. They don't positively move the ball forward toward the goal that God has given us to, to achieve. So what is that? And that's what we're looking at in our, in our final session together. Last week we began looking at that. And I said that for far too many people, including Christians, life is just one long walk toward nowhere in particular. That we're really just biding our time. That for many people, life is one big uh, Bill Naps. <laughs> Hell, <laughs> there are no more Bill Naps. 
But back when there were Bill Naps, there was a nickname for Bill Naps. It was called God's Waiting Room. Okay? Because so many elderly people went, went to frequented Bill Naps. Okay? And we, when we were very young, in fact, when our girls were very young, we loved Bill Naps. So we were, you know, we just thrilled all the elderly folks in there with being there with our little ones. Um, but it was called God's waiting room for that reason. And that's why I say for too many people, life is that. It's one big Bill Naps, just waiting for Jesus to beam me up. Just waiting until my number to be up, my time to be done. But in the meantime, what am I supposed to be doing? And very few people, very few people, including Christians, give conscious thought to what am I supposed to be doing? Why am I still here? And the answer to that is not to find out if you're going to get to heaven. If we believe in something called eternal security, if the Bible teaches that when you come to Jesus, that you have a relationship with him, that he gives us his Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing our future inheritance with him, that my home in heaven is secure. I already know that I'm going to heaven. So finding out the answer to that can't be the reason that he's left you here after you've come to Jesus. If, if life here is all about whether you're going to heaven, then we should all be gone. Because we already know that. So what is life here for? Why has God left us here? And we began last week to look at Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, which were Jesus' final instructions to his first followers and then by extension to us. And we saw that Jesus said, here's what you're to do. You're to go and make disciples of all nations. And you're to baptize them and you're to teach them. And then we looked at Luke 24, the last chapter in the book of Luke, where Luke gives us Jesus' final words, also the great, what we call the Great Commission, but gives us some additional information about the content of the teaching and the proclamation that will happen. Repentance and forgiveness will be preached in my name, says Jesus, to all nations. And he says, go and stay in the city, the city of Jerusalem, until you receive the power to start this. And then... You come to Acts chapter 1, Jesus ascends back to the Father, and those first followers, given those final instructions, are in Jerusalem. They are waiting for the power to begin this in Jerusalem. And in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, Luke, who wrote Acts, says this mission, quotes Jesus as saying, it's going to begin in Jerusalem, it's going to move out to Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And then the book of Acts records the progress of that mission moving forward. I made the point last week that the church and the Great Commission begin at exactly the same time in Acts chapter 2. And I made the point that both of them move forward together so that there should be no such thing as a missionless church. Every church is to be on mission. We're about the mission. But there should also be not be any uh, church, any missionless church or any churchless mission. That is, those who are on mission, those who are doing missions, which is, as we're going to see, all of us, all of us should be doing that attached to the church. So the church is the vehicle through which God's mission moves forward as you go through the 28 chapters of the book of Acts. But then, um, but then it becomes more explicit as well as you, as you go into the letters of the New Testament, the epistles of the New Testament. 
And let me quote one of those for you. In Philippians 1, Philippians 1, verses 4 and 5. Philippians 1, 4 and 5. Paul, who wrote this letter to the church at Philippi, says to them, chapter 1, very early on, this is how I pray for you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Here's why. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Now, what does that have to do with us and why we're here? At the very beginning of this letter, he says to these common Christians, regular folk like us, at the church in Philippi, I thank God for you, and in particular, I thank God for our partnership together in the gospel. Now, the word that's translated partnership there in Philippians 1.5 is a Greek word that many of us, many of you are familiar with, koinonia. And most of the time when you hear koinonia, you think fellowship. And in fact, in the King James Version translation of that verse, it says that fellowship in the gospel. So sometimes that word koinonia is is translated fellowship. Sometimes it's translated, as it is in the NIV, partnership. Sometimes participation. Sometimes communion. It refers to unity. Now hear this. It refers to unity based on what we have in common. Paul is using koinonia and you all at Philippi and you all at Community Bible. We're all in koinonia together in the gospel. Because we have this unity based on what we have in common. Now in particular, here's what we have in common. We have our common commitment to the same Lord and our common commitment to the same purpose, which is the mission. What are you here for? What am I here for? The mission. And it's not just, it's important for you to know, it's not just the green berets in the churches. That when Paul writes that, he's, 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 he's writing that to the saints at Philippi, together with the pastors and deacons, he starts it out. So he's writing to the common folk. Everybody who belongs to Jesus has been called out of the world and to Jesus, but given this great commission assignment. So we then are partners in the gospel together. Now, if that partnership is really going to be realized in our churches, then individual believers, all of us, are going to have to come to view ourselves as active participants in the mission rather than spectators. One commentator said this, perhaps the greatest single weakness of the contemporary Christian church is that millions of supposed members are not really involved at all And what is worse, they do not think it strange that they are not. We've created, we've created churches of spectators where we hire people to do the work of the ministry. And yet, in the New Testament, the assumption is that all of us are participants and partners in that. Another has observed the majority of Christians stand at the edge of the path of obedience. Waiting for more information. So the idea is, I'm, you know, I'm going to obey at some point, but I'm just waiting for a little more information here. And I, and I would suggest to you, Jesus is pretty clear. He's given us information. I hope by the time we're done today, we'll, we'll be, there'll be further clarity. But Christ has given us this unequivocal command, and so the issue is not more information. The issue is obedience from us. 
So in order to move from a spectator mentality to all of God's people being on active duty, then we're going to have to start asking some probing questions. Do I view my gifts and abilities as resources to serve my church? Do I view my gifts and abilities as resources to serve my church? Let me just give you, I'll give you some of these questions, but let me give you an illustration of that. Uh, I was at a church in Florida last year, uh, and that church has some very talented, extremely talented people in it. And in their workaday world jobs, uh, these folks have gone to school, they've gotten specialized training, and they're very uh, capable folks. But one of the guys owns uh, a chain of restaurants that are becoming wildly successful down there. And uh, he's, a, he's a wonderful fellow. And um, uh, the pastor of this church was at one of his restaurants and was just marveling at the decor and the way he's arranged everything and utilized his staff to do that. And the pastor said to him, hey, why don't you think about how you could use those talents at church? Like how you could help us to create a more inviting atmosphere at our, at our church. And the pastor relayed to me that this guy just, he was kind of stunned by that. It had never occurred to him that there was any relationship between the gifts and abilities that he exercised in his restaurant business to thinking about how he could parlay that, those gifts and abilities and passions that God gave him to advance the mission through the church. It had never occurred to him. And so now this guy, I'm glad to report, is starting to do that. But he had to be prompted to do so. So you all, I'm looking at some extremely talented people. Every person here has been gifted by God. And you're using those talents in ways that are necessary in order to make a living and rear a family and so on. So that's all to the good. But I'm asking you to consider how those gifts can be used intentionally in the work of the church that advances the mission. So one question we need to ask is, do I view my gifts and abilities as resources to serve my church? Another is, am I building my life around the church or the church around my life? Am I building my life around the church or the church around my life? Now, what does that look like? Well, here's a lot of ways to think about that. Here's one. Did you all know that our church's calendar is online? Um, so we haven't killed trees by printing the calendar, but we have, we have it in cyberspace. We have it online. It's, it's on our website, our calendar. And of course we do kill trees every Lord's day with the program. And then we go over the stuff that's coming up. Now here's something I, uh, started practicing decades ago with regard to this. I was taught at a young age the priority of the mission of the church. So so put your life as you are able, schedule your life around the mission that's going on through the church. And one simple way that we've done that for years is to look at the church's calendar and then plan our calendar around it as best we can. Now, you can't always do that. There are conflicts, there are work conflicts, there are those kind of things. And we're not a church, I don't want to scare you, we're not a church that comes around and goes, so where were you? What are you doing? Why are you in that golf league? You know, we, we don't do that. To my knowledge, I've never done that. I don't know anybody else that's done that. But I am saying to you that all of us ought to do that. 
that all of us ought to look at the 2016 calendar and go, these are the things going on in the life of the church. How can I schedule my life around prioritizing that? That's one way that you can then answer that question. Am I building my life around the church and assumed in that is and its mission or the church around my life? Here's another one. Are my leaders doing their job or mine? There are leaders in the church, according to the New Testament. Some of those leaders are, are paid to do exercise their gifts on a full-time basis. I'm thankful that the church here has allowed me to do that since 2006 on a full-time basis. We've got uh, Brother Jim, who started full-time with us recently as assistant to the pastor. Brother Tim is part-time with us. Dr. Combs is part-time with us. We've got some people that we pay to exercise their gifts. And we've got our leadership team. They're very sacrificially give of their time in order to serve God's mission and God's people. So there are to be leaders, but each of us should ask the question, are they doing their job or are they doing mine? What can easily happen if you're not careful is, and especially as a church gets some resources, the resources to hire people, we can then fall into the idea that we just hire folks for that. So somebody has used the analogy of the church as like a football game in a football stadium where um, 50,000 people are watching 11 people on a field. 50,000 people who desperately need exercise are watching 11 people on a field who desperately need rest. And very often that's the way it is in the church. You've got people watching, people who need to get in the game. But they're not in the game, and they're watching people who are being overworked in the game. Now, let me say this as clearly as I can. I'm not overworked in the game. That's not why I'm saying that, and I mean that. I'm not. Uh, I, don't, I don't feel that way. I've actually never felt that way. I have never felt overwhelmed by the task load that I have. Uh, so maybe there's something wrong with me. Maybe there's a bunch of stuff I'm supposed to be doing and there's a big list that I missed. And actually, I attribute that primarily to the fact that our church from day one has not primarily been a church of spectators. That you've got a ton of people involved in our church. And so the load is shared. And I thank, I thank God for that, and I thank God for you in doing that. But we all need to, despite the fact that that's a very good trait of our church, and it is, and I will tell you that we are doing a lot better than just about any other church I know in that regard, honestly. The number of people that are involved actively at our church. Nevertheless, all of us need to ask whether we are, and here's the second question. Even if you are involved in the work the Lord's work here? Are you involved to the extent of your gifts and abilities? Because what can easily happen is you come to our church and you take the newcomer's orientation and you catch very quickly that, wow, this is a church that says when you sign on a dotted line, you've got to find something to do. So, okay, give me something to do. So I can check the box so that I'm doing something. But checking the box that I'm doing something does not necessarily mean that I'm doing all that I should be doing with my gifts and abilities. 
So I would urge you to think about that. Am I doing all that I can and should, given how God has gifted me and how God has providentially placed me with the time that I have or the lack of, lack of time that I have, as the case may be? The New Testament is quite clear that every believer is to be an active participant in God's church. Here's Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. It was Christ who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. But here's why. It says to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And then it goes on to say, And then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of doctrine and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we'll in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament. Now notice that imagery. The whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. It is joined and held together by every supporting ligament. Guess what you are? You're a ligament. And then it says, as each part does its work, each part. So every last one of us is a ligament as part of the body that joins and holds it together. And we are called, each of us, to do our work as God has gifted us. So what if God's people caught a vision for what the church is to be? What if, in our churches, leaders trained their congregations in the biblical mission and they developed a philosophy of ministry around that? What could be accomplished for Christ if each member saw his life as an instrument to be used in carrying out the mission? So, here's what I'd like to uh, end with. I'd like to end with, well, I'm going to end with four facts, what I call facts of life. Four facts of life for the Christian. And the mission. But before I give you those facts of life, I want to read you something about someone who has a passion for what he does. In a book about his experience with Starbucks, Howard Schultz, who was the owner, the founder, wrote, Care more than others think wise, risk more than others think safe, dream more than others think practical. Expect more than others think possible. This man's passion to build a business should challenge us as Christians who are to be in the business of the mission. Can we abandon ourselves to the same degree for God's eternal purpose through his church? By God's grace through the Holy Spirit within us, we can. After all, we are called and enabled to imitate our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who is far more passionate about building the church than anyone has ever been about building a corporate empire. So, this author says, use your gifts to serve your church. Be eager to be a part. Embrace your need for the church. Build your life around the mission of the church. Imitate Christ who loved the church and gave himself up for her. Pour your life into it. Make Jesus' passion your passion. 
Those are good words. If Howard Schultz can get all excited about coffee, and I know what I'm going to say is heresy to some of you, but I don't even like Starbucks, okay? But if he can, if he can get all jazzed up and give his whole life for coffee, why can't we get all excited about the eternal work that God has called us to do? So what are these facts of life then? The first fact of life is this. Purpose determines life. Purpose determines life. That is, your purpose is going to determine the way you pursue your life. Purpose determines life. Our steps are ordered by what we believe to be our purpose. And since many, in fact, forget many most, have not given conscious thought to their purpose, the manner in which they live their lives displays the aimlessness that results from such a perspective. That's why I said for many people it's one big bill naps. Believers have been instructed regarding their purpose, and so they don't need to drift. We don't need to go aimlessly through life. Now, what is, what is God's ultimate purpose for all things? It is his glory. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Isaiah 43, 7, Isaiah 43, 7, I created you for my glory. God has made us to reflect his glory, that is, reflect his character back to him. And we're to do that individually, but then he's given us, and here's the second fact of life. God has given you a mission. Purpose determines life, that's the first fact. The second one is God has given you a mission. Now, what does that mission have to do with that purpose? The purpose is... That all of God's creation would reflect God back to God. That everything and every person that God has made will glorify Him. So what does the mission, the Great Commission, have to do with fulfilling that? Well, here's what. You guys have heard me use this analogy, but God made us in His image. Mirrors to reflect Him back to Him. Sin has broken the mirrors. And so you have, uh, what is it, six billion? Is that what we got on earth right now? People. And you got like six billion broken mirrors that reflect God in a distorted way. Sin has cracked the mirror. The mission that God is carrying out through the church is a repair mission. It's repairing broken mirrors through the gospel Carried out through his church pursuing the mission. God has given you a mission. So if you want to think of the church as a mirror repair shop, that's okay. I'm looking at a bunch of broken mirrors. And you're looking at a broken mirror. But if we've known each other for any length of time in our walk with Christ, the cracks should be healing. That's growth. I, I'm reflecting Christ in a clearer way now. Not completely clear until glory. But my mirror is reflecting Christ, should be reflecting Christ, your mirror should be reflecting Christ, and we should bring in, bringing more people to have their mirrors repaired through his church. So God's given you a mission. And that mission is stated in 
places like the Great Commission, of course, but Ephesians 3. Ephesians 3 in verse 10. In Ephesians 3, the first three chapters of the six chapters of Ephesians are all this marvelous, marvelous, marvelous truth that Paul writes to the Ephesians about God in eternity past, chapter 1, predestining them for uh, for uh, good works, uh, to predestine them to be adopted into his family, giving the Holy Spirit that is, as I said earlier, the deposit guaranteeing the inheritance that he's promised us. And then you come to chapter 2, he reminds you of the grace of God as the, the motivation for all of this. That you were dead in trespasses and sins, but God, verse 4 of Ephesians 2, but God, who is rich in mercy, made you alive while you were dead in your sins. And then it says in parentheses, it is by grace you have been saved. And then you come down to verse 8 and 9, famously. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can brag, no one can boast. So this is the means, chapter 2, by which what God determined in eternity past, chapter 1, is going to be carried out and fulfilled. The means is through the Spirit of God moving on the heart of spiritually dead people to make them alive so that they respond to the message of the gospel. And then he comes to uh, chapter 3. And he starts out to say, for this reason, I kneel. And I was telling my Wednesday class, then he stops there. For this reason, I kneel. And if you look at your Bible, there's a dash there. For this reason, I kneel. And then he doesn't finish the thought. In verse 2, he says, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace given to me for you. And then goes on to talk about the administration of God's grace now and how Paul is God's special emissary to explain what God is doing in this age now. And he says it's a particular administration of God's grace, a particular order of God's world, house order of God's world. And when you get down to verse 10 of Ephesians 3, here's what he says. His intent, God's intent, was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. Ephesians 3 and verse 10. God's intent was that through what? The church. The varied manifold wisdom of God will be made known. And then he ends this marvelous chapter and this praise and marvel that he has at the plan of God. He ends it in verse 21 of chapter 3 saying, To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now, if you want to know what your purpose is, it's to bring glory to God. And if you want to know the vehicle through which God is achieving his glory in this age, in this administration, Ephesians 3 tells you that it's his intent was now through the church. To him be glory in the church. 
That's why Acts has the mission and the church going forward hand in hand. And you don't have one without the other. That's why the letters that comprise your New Testament are written to churches. Or leaders of churches. Because hear this, friends. The church is where it's at. The church is where the action is. In God's program. Now, you might be sitting there thinking, well, yeah. It's easy for you to say this is your gig. You work here. You work at a church. Of course you're going to come and say, hey, the church is where it's at. But you notice that these letters, Philippians, Ephesians, these are written to the churches in those cities. They're written to the common folk in those cities. That's you and me. In fact, if you have any doubt about any of that, let me give you the third fact of life. The first one is purpose determines life. The second one is God has given you a mission. The third is this. God has prepared you to accomplish the mission. God has prepared you to participate in and accomplish the mission. Now, how do I know this? Because there's all these verses in the New Testament that talk about things like I read a bit ago from Ephesians 4, that we are ligaments that join and hold together the body, that each part is to do its work. That was Ephesians 4. Ephesians 2 and verse 10. Many of us are familiar with what I quoted a bit ago, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It's by grace you're saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one will boast. And a lot of times we stop there. But then the next verse, verse 10, says for. It starts out with the word for. So it's attaching what verse 10 says to what verses 8 and 9 said. Yes, you were saved by God's grace and not by works, but here's why. For, because, verse 10, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. When I say God has prepared you to participate, I'm just pretty much quoting Scripture, okay? So why did God save you? God saved you to do these works that he's prepared in advance for us to do. We are God's workmanship. And the Greek word for workmanship is poema. So you are God's poem. You are God's, some translations say, masterpiece. Some say work of art. So we, that is my favorite song. Actually, I have no idea what that song was, but. So we are God's work of art. Now, I could wax on this, but I've got seven minutes. But let me just say, dear friend, that everything that has happened to you, a redeeming God desires to use as part of the work of art that he is constructing in you. The good and the bad and the ugly, every piece of it. And some of you sit here and listen to this and you say, how cool it would be if I could be used of God to bring him glory through his church. And there is not a person sitting here who has not been designed by God, if you know Jesus, to do that very thing. Even if you've been through horrible stuff. No matter what it is. In fact, I know that God 
desires to use that horrible stuff in his work because 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 and 4 say so. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 and 4. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who comforts us in all our troubles so that we may comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. You see, there are people here, there are people we haven't met yet who need to hear your story of God's comfort to you in your trouble. And God has said, I'm redeeming that trouble. And I'm going to use that trouble, that trial, that difficulty you've gone through as part of helping someone else. That's part of the work of art that he's made out of you that includes all of the stuff of your life, my life, good, bad, and ugly. 1 Corinthians 12. God gives to each one, verse 11, God gives to each one just as he determines. Verse 18, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. And then verse 27, now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is part of it. 1 Peter 4.10, 1 Peter 4.10, each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. And then verse 11 goes on to say, if your gift is speaking, then use it to speak for the benefit of others. If it's serving for the benefit of others. And Peter appears to give just two broad categories of gifts there, serving gifts and speaking gifts. And here's one of the great problems in our churches. We've structured our churches in a way that most of the positions available to be involved are speaking positions. And here's the thing. Most people don't have speaking gifts. So the way we structured it, we structured it in a way that most people can't be involved. But I'm here. I've got good news for you. We've structured our church in a way that we have got zillions. That's a little exaggeration. We've got boatloads of serving opportunities in our church for the person, the majority of people, who don't have speaking gifts. And then Romans 12, verses 4 through 6. Romans 12, 4 through 6. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace that is given us. So, four facts of life. The first one is purpose determines life. The second is God has given you a mission. The third is God has prepared you to participate in and accomplish the mission. And then fact number four, God has placed you in the mission. God has placed you in the mission. And what I mean by that is this. You're here and you're at CBC by God's divine appointment. God has placed you. If you're here, and it appears you are, if you're here, God has placed you here in his sovereign providence to bring you here. In the words of the book of Esther, for such a time as this. For us to then together bring our very gifts and abilities together to advance the mission of God forward in his world, to repair mirrors, to reflect his character in his world. He's brought you here for that. So, what uh, what should you do? 
If you're going to make decisions that are in keeping with the will of God, I'm telling you, because Scripture is telling you, that's the will of God. The will of God is that you pursue with everything you have and that I pursue with everything I have the mission that God's assigned to us. Carrying out His the reflection of His glory through His church using your gifts to make that happen. Now, how do you? what do you do about that practically? Here's what you do. Uh, you uh, fill out the Your Fit form. The Your Fit form you can get at the Information Center. And the Your Fit form is a form that you fill out that says, this is who I am, this is what I've done, this is what I'm able to do, this is what I like to do. And then that in turn enables us to put a round peg in a round hole. To find out what you are able to do and then work with you to find a fulfilling place for you to shoulder the work here. Now, that's every person here. Every person here needs to use their gifts and abilities for the purpose for which God gave them. And I'll just say, end with one guilt trip and I'm done. Look, you, everybody's got different circumstances. And so you're thinking right now, you're going, dude, my work schedule. And your work schedule, if it's something outside your control, which it is for most of us, then there's nothing you can do about that. So don't be down about that. Work as a work at work to bring glory to God. And if God chooses to change your work situation, then such that you can be involved in a, in a greater way with more time and more things, then praise God for that. If not, then he providentially has you there. Don't be down about that. So I don't want to put, I don't want to put undue pressure on someone who providentially can't do what they might like to do. But I, here's the guilt trip part. Remember that these are gifts that you possess. And what does a gift imply? A giver, right? Who gave them? And if you fail to use them for the purpose for which God gave them, you're misappropriating something that he has graciously given you. God intends for you to use your gifts for him and his purposes. That's why he gave them to you. So I encourage you, if you've not done this, fill out the Your Fit form. We will find a spot for you to be involved in God's ministry. Now, how does that relate to all of the decisions that I make in life? Every decision that you make and that I make needs to be made with this question in mind. Will this help me advance the mission or not? If it will not help me advance the mission, then don't do it. Give me, if you guys will give me a minute and a half, I'll shut up. So vacation. Should I go on vacation? How does vacation advance the mission? Well, here's how I think of it. I go on vacation so that I can rest to get back in the game. I play in order to work. I don't work in order to play. That's what so many of us do, isn't it? I'm trying to make whatever money I can so that I can have as much fun as I can. Jesus rested. Paul would rest. It's a human necessity to rest and recharge. the. And vacation is a gift to do that. But look at it that way. It's an actual spiritual exercise to go on vacation, 
to recharge the batteries to get back in the game. Another way my family looks at that is it's a way for us to strengthen the bonds between people that God has assigned to me in order to lead to Christ and to reflect Christ. But notice the thought process is not just, hey, I just like doing this. The thought process is this will help me advance the mission, both in my home and in my work in the church. Every decision you make can be made exactly that way. Every last one. That's how we make decisions to the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these weeks that we've had to look at this marvelous gift that you've given to us, the reasoning faculty, the ability to think and to evaluate, to make choices, to distinguish, to discern. Lord, this gift of mind is a gift from you. And like all the gifts that you have given, we have a stewardship to manage that gift for the one who gave it. So, Lord, help us then to be people who are serious about the way we think so that we our thoughts are consistent with your thoughts given to us in your word. And, Lord, help us to be people that are intentional about your glory, that we are not people who are just biding our time and, and your glory may happen by accident. But rather, we are intentionally pursuing your glory by making our decisions so that we advance the mission that you've assigned to us, the mission that goes forward through your church, through which you are receiving your glory in this age. Thank you, Lord, for allowing me and us the privilege of participating in that eternal, in that eternal pursuit. Thank you for a, that, that will have eternal value. For both us and for those that you allow us to minister to. We ask you to go with us this week then, Lord, and not to be forgetful hearers. But help us to be doers of your word now. Put that into practice and may you be pleased then to use Community Bible Church and the people that comprise it, that you have brought together as your work of art. Be pleased to use us to bring glory to yourself this year and in the years to come. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.